You're listening to the sermon cast of First Presbyterian Church Spartanburg. To watch the full video of this worship service and to learn more about the ministries of our church, visit us online at fpcspartanburg.org. We hope you enjoy the message. This morning, we continue to follow the lectionary gospel text, which keeps us in Luke. And we are confronted with yet another parable from the 18th chapter. The sermon is entitled, A Vulnerable Faith. Will you join me in prayer? Speak to us, living God, as you have spoken to our ancestors through the voices of your prophets, the breath of your spirit, and the life of your son, so that we may live a life of prayer and justice according to your word. And may the words in my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts gathered here be pleasing to you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Luke 18, verses 1 through 8. Jesus was telling them a parable about their need to pray continuously and to not be discouraged. And he said, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected people. And in that city, there was a widow who kept coming to him and asking, give me justice in this case against my adversary. For a while, he refused. But he finally said to himself, I don't fear God or respect people. But I will give this widow justice because she keeps bothering me. Otherwise, there will be no end to her coming here and embarrassing me. The Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. Won't God provide justice to his chosen people who cry out to him day and night? Will he be slow to help them? For I tell you, he will give them justice quickly. But when the human one, the son of man comes, will he find that same faithfulness on earth? Friends, this is the word of faith that we proclaim, the word of God for the people of God. Prayer is one of the most intimate moments that we have with God. It's a practice, a discipline, and a way of expressing our humanity, all of our emotions, all of our whole being. Prayer is such an incredibly vulnerable experience when you think about it. It's where we release control. We release that from our hands and our body and we give it to the one who already knows what is written on our hearts. The poet and farmer, one of my favorite, Wendell Berry writes, sit and be still. Until the time of no rain, you hear beneath the dry wind's commotion in the trees the sound of flowing water among the rocks, a stream unheard before. And there, 
You are where breathing is prayer. I wonder what prayers do you remember from your life? Are there any that jump out? Is there one instance or is your mind coming up with a bunch of them? I'll reflect on my own in case you're stumped right now and digging through your memories because there are several that stick out for me and and they all look pretty different from one another. The first that I think of are the many times over the summers at Cedar Kirk Camping Conference Center outside Tampa, Florida, where a large group was gathered loud for a meal in Cedar Lodge, prayerfully singing Johnny Appleseed. Do you know that one? Yeah? Oh, the Lord's been good to me, and so I thank the Lord for giving me the things I need, the sun and the rain and the... The Lord's been good to me. Amen. We'll just do it once, though. (laughs) I recount the times that I've prayed as the sun began to rise over Tampa Bay in the east, and then those other times where it set so gracefully into the Gulf of Anna Maria Island. Prayers of gratitude and awe. I'm drawn back to the waiting room at the ICU of Atlanta Medical Center, praying with a family who just lost a son, a brother, a husband, and a friend to senseless gun violence, a prayer of lament. I remember kneeling at the front of Park Lake Presbyterian's sanctuary in Orlando, Florida, my home church. While many who were gathered came forward and they laid their hands on my head and my shoulders and the Reverend Eliza Smith prayed over my ordination. Where has prayer been in your life? What are the moments? Where were you? What did you pray for? Who was with you? And more importantly, what did you feel? This morning's scripture begins by telling us what this parable is all about. Praying consistently and not becoming discouraged. It's a bit unusual for one of Jesus' parables. If you remember a couple weeks back, what Alan said was the most confusing parable in all of the gospels that has no explanation like this. Typically there's a setup or there's some sort of interaction that instigates Christ's storytelling, but here, the very essence of the parable, it's laid out before it's even told. And it's a rather comedic parable, even though it deals with someone who has been wronged. I heard some chuckles when I read it. I think you caught on a little bit. There's supposed to be some ironic humor, humor around the character's actions juxtaposed to their societal status. The judge who neither feared God nor respected people, who sits in a place of power where he is called with the responsibility to provide justice. Then we have the widow. And anyone of Jewish descent or anyone in an ancient Near East at this time who was hearing this story They would know what the scriptures have to say about widows. 
Exodus 22 states, don't mistreat or oppress an immigrant because you were once immigrants in the land of Egypt. Don't treat any widow or orphan badly. If you do, and they cry out to me, you can be sure that I'll hear their cry. And the prophet Isaiah addresses them saying, woe to you who make unjust laws, to those who issue oppressive decrees to deprive the poor of their rights and withhold justice from the oppressed of my people, making widows their prey and robbing the fatherless. It's clear from scripture and history that widows are known as being among the most vulnerable in society. They are a community of individuals who God has named as God's protected ones and has called the community of believers to be advocates for. And yet, Jesus tells us of a parable where the justice sits upon the shoulders of a judge who sits in his lofty and powerful throne not caring in the least bit for this child of God. Friends, someone has taken advantage of her vulnerability, of who she is, her life experience, of the way that God has been present in her life. Her cries for justice seemingly fall upon deaf ears. And it's at this point, imagining her after her first visit to the judge's court, that I like to create a cinematic break. Vision it with me. I see her going to wherever she calls home, infuriated, disappointed, and sitting down somewhere to cry. And with her head hung low and tears streaming down her face, all of a sudden we begin to hear a subtle music in the background. And the camera slowly pans up as she lifts her head and we see her eyes and we begin to notice that it's the eye of the tiger playing in the background. You know that one too? Cue the montage of this widow going back to the judge's court time and time again, asking for justice until finally he relents. The eye of the tiger and images of Rocky Balboa are appropriate, stay with me. The original Greek translation of this text in verse five, it uses a word and a verb that when translated quite literally means to beat black and blue to smite so as to cause bruises and livid spots. That's how the judge thinks of her actions. Much like Rocky, the widow's hope, it is her persistence. She doesn't let her vulnerability, her status as a widow be her excuse. Rather, she takes the courageous step into the most vulnerable space imaginable. Think about that. I imagine that each time she was shut down by the judge, she cried out in prayer to God. She cried out. And I believe that it is these prayers which prompted her 
They prompted her to return to the judge's court time and time again, being denied. But she got back up, she kept fighting, she kept going. No matter how defeated, how tired and exhausted, or even exasperated she is, she keeps coming back and throwing punches. She keeps praying. Her vulnerability in prayer and status, it's not her weakness. That vulnerability is her strength. Friends, what does it mean to have this vulnerable, unlikely hero be the person that Christ calls to us in this parable to care for? and at the same time embody in our individual lives. There's a stigma surrounding this widow, this stigma of who she is. She's an outsider. She lives at the margins of society. She's been cast aside and forgotten by so many that her only course of action is to take matters into her own hands. It seems to be the only way to make something happen. Can you imagine how difficult that decision must have been to summon the courage to journey to the judge's court and to plead for justice? Can you imagine her distress at having that hurt, that very real hurt and pain dismissed over and over and over? This stigma that is surrounding her status as a widow, it casts a shadow over her humanity. A couple of weeks ago, I attended a panel on faith and mental health at Converse University. This panel was the concluding event of Converse's Mental Health Awareness Week, sponsored by the Office of Spiritual Life, of which I have a certain connection to. The panel consisted of the Reverend Amber Blackwell, who is a cooperative Baptist minister and a hospital chaplain at Prisma in Greenville. Dr. Frank Clark, a Presbyterian who attends Fourth Pres in Greenville, and is also a psychiatrist in the Prisma network. Pastor High King Paul, who's the Unity and Diversity Director at the New Spring Church in Anderson. And the Reverend Dr. Clay Turner, who many of you may know from his time as the rector at the Church of the Advent but is also a pastoral counselor. The first question that the panelists addressed was about the stigma that surrounds mental health. They talked about the many ways that there's this negative aura that surrounds mental health and the conversations around it in their different eras, in their different communities, socioeconomically, racially, back then versus now. And Dr. Turner, he described how stigmas, just in general, stigmas deprive people from getting the help they need. They create a roadblock. At one point, Dr. Clark, he juxtaposed the response to different situations in a person's life, and particularly when it comes to healthcare. He said that when someone is diagnosed with cancer, the response is that we quickly surround that individual with love and support. We put together a, a food train. 
We check in on them regularly, seeing how they're doing. How is your fight going? Keep fighting. And often we offer prayer as an outlet to peace and healing in the face of the visible but the unknown. And then Dr. Clark noted, but when someone vulnerably comes forward, filled with courage that we can't see, and expresses their struggle with addiction, or depression, or anxiety, or schizophrenia, the response is too often silence. Where's the prayer for that vulnerability? Where's the prayer for that person, for that person's being? Where is the love and the support? Where is the laying on of hands? Friends, where's the justice? One of those responses resembles the judge. And one resembles how Christ tells us God will respond. One response, it dismisses the vulnerable, and one response embraces it. In one instance, we see blessing and stress sit perfectly in tension, and we acknowledge it and recognize it. And yet in the other, we respond and we question how could stress exist when there are so many blessings in one's life. There's no such thing as too blessed to be stressed. What is our response to vulnerability? To the defenseless nature of humanity, of the person in the pew next to us? What is our response to the exposed truth, grief, joy, and pain that is present in ourselves? What's our response? When it came time for questions, like any good fiance, I had a whole list ready to go in case nobody else had any. And I asked the panel, so where does prayer fit into mental health? both in the caring for others and the caring for ourselves. And Dr. Kurt Turner, again, who was full of wisdom the whole night, he began by saying, all, all of your emotions are gifts from God. They are God's gift to you. Prayer is our whole being. And it should therefore simply be an expression of these gifts. Friends, our times of prayer, they are our moments of vulnerability with God. Prayer opens us like the outstretched arms of Christ on the cross. It opens us to the jaw-dropping mystery of the divine. And it invites us to find hope in the resurrection and new life. Prayer causes us to bear our pain and our joy, our exhaustion and our confusion, and to discover that connection to the Creator, to the source of all life. Prayer catalyzes our hope and it kindles the flame of our persistence, just like the widow. And Dr. Turner, he then he reflected on the church's responsibility to be a community centered on hospitality. 
Hospitality is a pillar of our faith. It's key to being Christian, to being a believer in Christ's message to the good news of the gospel. It's a central theme in the table. The communion table is the table, it's God's table of hospitality where all are welcome. As Dr. Clark said, mental health care and mental health is no different. It's just like the communion table where all are welcome. Hospitality is central to us being a community that's founded in love. And therapy, which has its own stigma, yet in its definition, therapy means to sit with someone else, to sit with another person, to see their humanity, and to just be with them in their pain and their suffering. Dr. Turner then made the statement, every church, this one included, is called to be a therapeutic community. And I ask myself as I think about this text, as I grapple with this widow and this situation, what would it have been like for that widow to have a therapeutic community, to not have to do it by herself? In being a therapeutic community, the church steps over the threshold into the most vulnerable places of people's lives. As a therapeutic community, the church embodies the vulnerability of its members, each and every one with each a unique story to tell. To live with that faith is to be vulnerable in your humanity. A vulnerable faith, it advocates for justice for the widow as our very first response. A vulnerable faith, it recognizes the pain in our sibling, even if not visible. And it responds with seeing humanity, connection. A vulnerable faith leads us to take a good long look at ourselves to realize, yes, we're loved. And because of that, we can't do this alone. No matter how low, how depressed, how anxious, or how addicted, friends, you are loved and you are not alone. You are being prayed for. Look at Christ's question there, the last verse again, this rhetorical question that he presents to the disciples. When the human one comes, when the son of man returns, will he find a vulnerable faith on earth? Will we be the church who at the same time cares for and embodies the faith of the widow? Will we not just step in, but take a leap into those terrifying, terrifying places of our human pain in order to discover community and healing? Will we prayerfully pursue justice through love and encouragement and not just saying it's going to be all right, it's going to be okay, but finding it in us to say this sucks. Let's sit here for a minute. Will we resist 
that temptation to fix. Resist it. And instead, embrace the call on God, by God, on each and every one of our lives as individuals and as a community to be a therapeutic church. And yet at the same time, will we live not just with faith, but with a tenacious, a persistent, and a vulnerable faith? Y'all, however it looks for you, however you decide that's your work to do, however it looks for you, keep praying in both word and in action. You're not alone. Take that step. Even just at first, take the step into the defenseless places, into the unknown where you don't know what's gonna happen next. Place your faith, that vulnerable faith, place it in God who hears your cries and quickly responds with love and with justice. And may we never forget, may we never forget the power and the responsibility of this church and all churches of all believers to be a corporate body designed to emulate that very same love and justice here on earth. Let it be so. And in the name of God who made heaven and earth, who knows the emotions that are written on your heart because God gave those to you, just as much as grace was given. In the name of that God who comforts us in our suffering, who keeps you from this time and forevermore, all of God's people said, amen.